Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tonight on The Readout. You know, if Donald Trump is, is elected again, we really don't have to worry because the, the institutions of our government will prevent, you know, the worst that he will attempt to do. That Nothing could be further from the truth because those Republicans, you know, a House with Republicans like Mike Johnson, uh, a Senate with people like Josh Hawley and Mike Lee, they won't stand up to him. Liz Cheney banging that alarm bell with all her might as her former friends and colleagues abandoned democracy for the cult of Trump. Plus, Gaza teeters on the brink of a full-blown humanitarian catastrophe as calls for a permanent ceasefire grow louder by the day. And Texas goes full Handmaid's Tale, creating their own dystopian reality in which women are forced to beg for the right to safeguard their own health. But we begin tonight with the threat of America's Putin. Today, Vladimir Putin announced his candidacy in the presidential election next March, that he is all but certain to win. It's a move expected to keep him in power until at least 2030. Putin has twice used his leverage to amend the Constitution so he could stay in power. He is already the longest-serving Kremlin leader since Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. It is a cautionary tale. Because here in America, we face a similar threat. And if you think an American Putin can't happen here, you have to understand that Donald Trump, in less than a year, could overcome even a majority to become president for life. It has certainly happened before and still does in countries like Russia and Venezuela, where presidential governments are code for authoritarian regimes. For guys like Putin and Venezuela's autocrat Nicolas Maduro to pull it off, they have to first control the bureaucracy. If they say they are going to cancel an election or call for shady constitutional changes, who's going to stop them? The bureaucracy. That is, unless it is stacked with loyalists and sycophants, which is exactly what Donald Trump did during his presidency. When particularly at the end of his term, he raced to stack the Pentagon, the Department of Justice, the courts, and federal agencies with people personally loyal to him. But in the end, there were still enough independent bureaucrats in place in Washington and around the country, including Republicans, to stop him from successfully waging a coup and staying in office after losing the 2020 election. But if he wins again, expect that to change. A 2025 Trump administration would be stripped of normie bureaucrats and stacked instead with MAGA true believers and Trump foot soldiers who would be willing to implement draconian immigration crackdowns or threaten military force against cartels on Mexican soil or even against American protesters. The New York Times reports that Trump intends to revive an effort from the end of his presidency to alter civil service rules that protect career government professionals, enabling him to fire tens of thousands of federal workers and replace them with loyalists. After Congress failed to enact legislation to block such a change, 
the Biden administration is developing a regulation to essentially Trump-proof the federal workforce. However, since that is merely an executive action, the next Republican president, a.k.a. Trump, could simply undo it the same way. And led by Heritage Foundation, by, by the Heritage Foundation, something called Project 2025 is aimed at creating a government in waiting for the next Republican presidential administration. Now, you may wonder why Project 2025 is so focused on the federal workforce and its seemingly boring functions. Well, it's because these workers are key to keeping a dictator from being a dictator. But if these positions are filled with MAGA cronies who don't follow checks and balances or the law or ethics, then Trump's path is clear. He's then able to stifle dissent and criticism. He can lock up his critics and he can transform government function and maintain permanent rule. And unfortunately, he has a lot working for him. The overwhelming support of white working class Americans, many of whom will support him no matter what. Then there's the fecklessness of Republicans who refuse to fight him even if they don't want him in power or even when they personally despise him. And then there's the structure of our elections based on the Electoral College, where a small segment of voters in key swing states wield outsized power in a presidential race. And finally, Trump is counting on a lack of memory about his atrocities. Basically, people aren't afraid of him. He's entertaining, they say. He's funny. Or maybe they do remember. They just don't care. They may even like it. And that is perhaps the most disturbing part. We have seen the rise of dictators before, and the results are often deadly. And we have seen what calamity, complacency can bring. Presidential historian Michael Beschloss tweeted this chilling Associated Press headline, which ran in 1933, quote, Washington not alarmed as Hitler rises to power. 90 days later, in 2023, we risk the same mistake as Trump raises new alarms, saying he wouldn't be a dictator, except on day one. I'm joined now by Michael Beschloss, NBC News presidential historian, and Matthew Dowd, MSNBC political contributor and analyst and chief strategist for the Bush-Cheney 2004 presidential campaign. Michael, you tweeted out that piece, so I'm going to go to you first. And okay. I have uh, a couple of those um, old New York Times articles, New York Times articles from the 1930s, those front pages, right. which have these benign uh, articles and columns about Adolf Hitler, including one about his summer estate in, in the Bavarian, in the Bavarian, you know, Highland, sort of treating him as a normal politician. And right. the American media did that for a really long time. And look what happened. Your thoughts. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, going back to the beginning of this country, one of the biggest things the founders worried about was that one day there would be a president who would be a dictator. And they were relieved by the fact that the first president was going to be George Washington, who gave up power. So they sort of, you know, sat on their oars. And the result is, if if the biggest sanction against a president who wants to be a dictator is impeachment, how how has that worked out? You know, Donald Trump has <laughs> been impeached twice. He may be elected in eleven months. We could be living under a dictatorship. The other thing that happened, as you both know, is that in the late 19th century, there was a civil service movement, which was, you know, presidents can come in, they might try to be dictators, or, you know, the, the modern society of 1880 requires experts, not political hacks. So let's have a civil service that is there, you know, almost regardless of who is president. Donald Trump is ripping all of that away. So 
He can be a dictator. He can tell the DOJ to uh, indict anyone he wants or go after any political enemy, someone who looked you know, the wrong way at Donald Trump in the third grade, uh, or the Department of Defense. You know, just in, invoke the Insurrection, uh, Insurrection Act, send U.S. Army soldiers into cities that he does not like, blue cities, Chicago, Los Angeles, other places, perhaps Detroit, and use it to go after his political enemies. If you have no professional bureaucracy, all that is possible. And I, actually, I'm wrong. It's not possible. It is probable, and it is almost inevitable. Right. And I mean, the thing is, what, um, Matthew, what, um, you know, what, what, what Michael just called the bureaucracy, the sort of political bureaucracy, the kind of permanent bureaucracy of Washington that also exists in the states, Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and his folk have labeled that the deep state. And when they say the deep state, that's what they mean. They mean the bureaucratic, regular $40,000 to $50,000 an hour working folks who actually maintain government. And what they understand is that what stopped Donald Trump from doing his worst is that everything he did had to grind through the sort of slowing mechanisms of bureaucracy. So it's not efficient. Politics is not efficient. It's why people are mad at Joe Biden. He can't get things done because you have this bureaucracy, you have the Senate, they've got a, you know, ability to filibuster. All of that slow motion stuff slows down extreme policy. Trump gets back in, he gets rid of all those people. And then he says, we're not having an election. Uh, I'm staying. Well, who's going to stop him, boo? Who's going to check him? If the local bureaucrats don't do it, that's who stopped him from doing the coup the first time. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I'm glad Michael's here because this is such, I mean, I actually think this is a great moment because it provides clarity to the fact that our democracy is and has always been fragile in nature. It is very mm -hmm. dependent. It's not just dependent on the structure of the Constitution. It's dependent on good people holding office and good people serving that actually have loyalty to the Constitution. And I think what Donald Trump, if you asked him what his biggest regret was, his biggest regret was putting certain people in certain positions that ended up not doing what he wanted. If you th Absolutely. think about this, if there was a different secretary of defense at the time That's of, right. at the end of 2020, what the result would have been. If there was a different vice president, what the result would have been. If there was a different FBI director, what would the result have been? All three of which of those people, Donald Trump has gone out of his way in the last year right. just to rip on in the course of this. And so it's not only the immense bureaucracy that Donald Trump, it's key people in positions of power, which actually is such a great lesson for us in democracy, how important the people who occupy certain spaces right. are in preserving our democracy. And I'll also add one thing to the Hitler analogy. It wasn't just the American media. The German media never took him seriously. They were like, oh, he's kind of a joke. If you go back and look at, oh, he's kind of a joke. He'll be okay. We have this system in place. There's no worries about it. And then in the aftermath, where, where he was elected, he was legitimately elected. Then you had people who were served in power and said, we're going to give him these positions because we can control him. That was basically their stance. We'll give him these things because he'll be able to be controlled by us and that'll be a good thing and we'll be able to hold power. And look what happened. Right, exactly. Ditto Maduro uh, in, in Argentina, D D um, Bolsonaro in Brazil, same thing. They're treated as a joke. They're kind of funny. They're kind of glib. And you're like, they're really not a problem. They're sort of entertaining. I want to read you a line from a Washington Post piece, because I think the other piece of it is that the people on the ground don't fear the consequences of this kind of leadership. Washington mm -hmm. Post quoted a, a, a voter named Ar Arlando Monk. 
um, and he's from Wisconsin, which is one of the tiny number of swing states that will decide the election. He says if it's between them, meaning Biden and Trump, I'm going to say this. Trump was hilarious. He was hilarious, said Monk, 43, who lives in the Milwaukee area. Biden, meanwhile, has not delivered the change he expected, leaving Monk unsure. I would say it's kind of up in the air. Michael Beschloss, this is the challenge. Joe Biden is slowed down by politics and bureaucracy, by the slowing mechanisms in the United States Senate, which means you need 60 votes to get things. People don't understand that minutia. They just know he can't get what he wants, whereas uh, Trump says, I'm going to ban all Muslims. He banned all Muslims. Trump says, I'm going to build a wall. He pretends I built a wall. Trump says, right, I'm going to rip babies away from their mothers if they try to come over this border. Stephen Miller says that. And suddenly babies are being ripped out of their mother's hands at the border. His autocracy is efficient. And so for a lot of people, they're like, I'd rather have that. And he's funny. No, that's right. And I'm hoping against hope that by 11 months from now, even Mr. Monk and other people who were saying things like this will understand that the choice of November 2024 is most likely going to be between democracy as flawed and faltering as it is and dictatorship autocracy that are going to take our rights away. Look at the reaction of women and men to the cancellation of Roe v. Wade. That's yes. what happens in the best of America when you take freedom away. We can hope that that is what's going to happen. But, you know, I shudder to think that after all the decades that our American soldiers fought fascism in Italy, Nazism in Germany, Imperial Japan, Soviet dictatorship for 46 years, we're going to throw all of this away so gingerly. I can't bring myself to believe that that's going to happen. Right. And I think you people should remember when you're speaking of abortion, one of the first things that these guys uh, do and threaten to do is take away the rights of women, because controlling women is always part of the plan. And the banning abortion is always a part of it. You're right. It's a signal. Um, And, you know, to go back, Matthew, to the to to the the minutia part, because I think this is the thing is I, I say this all the time to my poor beleaguered team. How do elections happen? Elections don't happen because there's some, you know, giant, you know, machine that turns on and elections happen. They happen because individual people at the bureaucratic level in the states begin the process. It's an honor system. They just believe there's supposed to be an election. And so they begin the process. What if they don't? Let me put up a map. These are the 19 states where 25 election election deniers hold statewide positions with election oversight power. In other words, if they believe that Donald Trump cannot be returned to office by an election and they just say, you know what? We ain't doing it. Trump's in. We like him. We don't want him to be replaced. He stays. Who's going to stop that? Nobody. Who's going to stop it? That's that's been the, the most nefarious. I'm um, one of the most nefarious part of this is the attack on our election infrastructure. The right. people that are the secretary of state in Michigan and in Wisconsin and in 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 Illinois and over that have been physically, physically and violently threatened in the course of this. Not only them, but local people that actually volunteer to serve at the polls. And so you put those states up where you have election deniers in office, and then you overlap that where states where all these massive amount of threats that have occurred, where it's become difficult to recruit people to actually man the polls. And this is a recipe, as Michael as Michael has alluded to or said, this is a recipe for not only an infrastructure in Washington, D.C., but a threatened infrastructure in the country that actually holds the elections done by 
little old men and women around the country who do 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 they want to be visited by MAGA people at their home and threatened by the point of a gun in the course of this, which is what has happened. You saw what happened in Georgia in the course of this. People that are just trying to do their service and fulfill a civic duty. Those people are now under threat. And now they have to ask themselves, I love America. I believe in America. Do I want to put myself and my family at risk just to hold an election? Yeah, there used to be a, a, a senator from the United, from the state of Mississippi who used to say the best way to keep a black person, he didn't say black person, from voting is to visit them the night before with a gun. Uh, Michael, let's talk about the other things, because there are some fundamental anti-democratic aspects to our structure of our elections that also work against democracy and work for Trump. He only right. has to really carry a majority, 50.1, you know, 50 plus one in 10 states, basically, because, you know, because of the Electoral College, it's gone down from 26 states that used to really be swing states and matter to like 10. You know, neither party will probably contest Florida this time. It's now seen as deep red like Alabama. So you're talking about maybe 10 states that decide who wins. The rest of the country is just stuck with the result. No, that's exactly right. And a system, and I loved what Matt said. I agree with everything he said. You know, go on to take a look. We have Citizens United. We have corporate and private money pouring into the system in a way that you can't imagine. That is, that is not progressive money for the most part. Those are people who would be perfectly content to accustom themselves to a Donald Trump dictatorship. If it comes to that, they're already showing that they are. And the other thing, Joy and Matt, you know, take a look at, you know, we have thought in the past that when Americans were confronted with the loss of our liberties, you know, that would be a deal breaker. It doesn't seem to be yet. And we're on the verge of a situation. You know, look right now, Donald Trump, I mean, I'll ask both of you, why is Donald Trump in public saying, I will be a dictator from day <laughs> one and presumably afterwards? I will use the Defense Department in a way that hasn't been done before. I'm going to talk about terminating the Constitution. I would expect, you know, Matt has this, you know, history as a campaign genius uh, of knowing that usually you'd expect a candidate who intends to do those things, not <laughs> telling you until election day, this is the beginning of the intimidation that we're talking about. Well, I think the well, reason yeah, he's I, making these threats is to get people to be quiet and to knuckle under even 11 months before his possible election. Please, everyone who's watching, all of our friends, beware. Last word to you, Matthew Dowd. And please answer, where are the Republicans in all of this? Please go. Well, I was just going to add, one of the reasons why he's doing it is because of the majority of the Republicans accept it. And so if the majority of the Republican Party right. would found this unacceptable, he wouldn't be doing it. But he understands right. the Republican Party as a whole has moved in the authoritarian way. I'll add sure. one more thing on the Electoral College the fact yep. set. In 1976, when Jimmy Carter was elected, 85% of the voters of the country lived in a swing state. 85% mm -hmm. of the lived in a swing state. Today, 11% live in a swing state. Right. That's the problem. Right. Mississippi used to be a swing state. Matthew, so Michael did Texas Beschloss, and California and New York. Yes, they did. Right. Yes, they did. Michael Beschloss, Matthew Dowd. Brilliant. Thank you both for being here. I hope you all listen to them. Very important. Up next on The Readout, Secretary of State Antony Blinken calls on Israel to do more to protect civilians, but stops short of calling for a permanent ceasefire, despite a rising outcry around the world. The Readout continues after this. Here's a question. 
Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgartigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash M-O-A. Brought to you by Argenix. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. There are dire new warnings today from United Nations officials that the humanitarian efforts in Gaza are on the brink of total collapse. As fighting intensifies in the South, the U.N. agency on the ground there says the strip is now reaching a point of no return. While the humanitarian chief says plans for relief are in tatters and that, quote, we do not have a humanitarian operation in southern Gaza that can be called by that name anymore. The U.N. secretary general is also sounding the alarm, warning of a complete breakdown in public order. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is calling out Israel for not doing more to reduce civilian casualties, saying there's a gap between the intent to protect civilians and the actual results that we're seeing on the ground. This comes as over the past day, videos and images have been circulating, showing dozens of Palestinian men kneeling on the street, stripped to their underwear and blindfolded while being detained by Israeli soldiers. In one photo shared on social media, a group of men can be seen wearing what appears to be nothing but underwear as they kneel in a line, surrounded by armed soldiers in full combat gear. NBC News has not independently verified when these videos and images were taken. Joining me now is Hani Al-Madun, Director of Philanthropy at the United Nations Relief and Work Agency. It's good to see you, Hani. Um, and I'm glad that you were able to come on. Uh, I know you've been through a lot and lost a lot in this war, and including many family members. Um, but we were alerted that perhaps someone in that group, and we're going to show that picture again, is a member of your family. Can you tell us if that is accurate and if so, who he is? <laughs> Yeah, Joy, this is my little brother, my baby brother, Mahmoud. He is uh, 32 years old. He was taken from his home. He was playing with uh, his two daughters, Noor and Sham. And he is 100% and a full-time civilian. A lot of the people in the image there, they're family members. And they've also taken my nephew, that you see him in a different picture. And the only reason we know this is because the IDF released this footage to share and to show the world how to humiliate Palestinians. They are meant for domestic consumption, to show the Israelis that, hey, we're arresting Palestinians. 
Sadly, they're dubbing them as combatants. And this is just a sad, cruel joke because none of the folks in this image have anything to, anything to do with fighting. They were taken from their homes with their spouses and daughters. They're sheltering, seeking uh, safety. And sadly, that's, you know, that's my little brother. And it's shocking because he's not involved in anything. He can't, you know, he can't run two meters, unfortunately, but they still dub him as a combatant. And it's sad because you feel violated. You know, this is your baby brother and you've been meeting with people high in our government here in the U.S. And somehow I feel like I failed him. Well, you certainly did not. You are doing your best to try to get the information out about what's happening there. Where where was your brother and your cousins and et cetera? What part of Gaza were they in? They were in northern Gaza in an area called Mashru'a Beit Lahia, the Beit Lahia Project. This is our the third home that my family have moved to. Our other home was destroyed an hour and a half before the truce that killed my younger brother, Majid. May his soul rest in peace. Last time we spoke, I had three brothers, Joy. Now I have two. Yeah. I miss him. I try to send him messages in WhatsApp now and then, and I want to share location as we used to. And he's gone an hour and a half before the truce. The home is gone. Four-story buildings I co-own with him. My family is now homeless. They found shelter inside my great uncle's home. And even then, the troops came in looking for them and humiliated them in front of their families and their kids. And this is insane because this is like meant to humiliate the Palestinians. And somehow the Israelis are convincing themselves that buys them safety. I doubt that our history shows that this has ever worked. And I'm broken for my brother. He was put stripped in the cold. They put him in the beach for a few hours. They're you know, just uh, insulting them, taking pictures of them and mocking them to insult their manhood and showing their buddies in various Israeli telegram groups, the images of those civilians. And it's unfortunate. It really is. Um, I, I want to read a, this is a, I'll read part of this statement um, from the, the IDF. They've said over the past day, IDF and ISA forces apprehended hundreds of wanted suspects throughout the Gaza Strip during combat in Shajaya, Jabalia, and Khan Yunis. IDF troops apprehended hundreds of terror suspects. These suspects were transported by two security forces in Israel for further questioning. Um, they are saying that the people that they are detaining are terrorist operatives and suspects. Um, what do you make of that? Uh, that's if they were really suspects, this, these people were released within 10 hours of their detention. If they had any grain of truth in that statement, those folks would not be released. I'm happy my family is released. The Israelis know these are not fighters. They've grabbed people as old as my dad, 72 years old, as young as, as young as Omar, he's 13 years old. And it just feels like, what can we do about this? This is just really unfortunate because our family members are not involved in anything. I vouch for every single one of them, our neighbors, that particular area where they say Jabalia is. I know a lot of these young men, they're trying to make a living somehow. My, my nephew tried to go to Europe to find a better job. He almost drowned in the Mediterranean. His mom pushed him to come back to Gaza, and now she regrets that decision. Can you imagine Joy being my mom? She buried a child, yeah. took her a week to get to their bodies, and then now they round up her kid to a known place, and then they humiliated her husband, who's a teacher of 40 years. This is a bit much for our family, but yet we stand yeah. to tell their stories. 
uh, and I cannot, I cannot imagine, and I'm so sorry, and uh, my deepest condolences to your mom. Yes, she and your family have been through a lot. Um, we just had uh, a U.N. vote uh, recently, again, uh, calling for a ceasefire. The United States vetoed it uh, in the Security Council. Uh, Great Britain abstained. What do you make of these votes in the United Nations, the efficacy of them, the point of them at this point, knowing that the United States will veto them regardless? Do you think there is a point to the the continuation of the United Nations process, or do you think that it is effective in any way? You've heard the Secretary General call for Article Number 99, you know, because this is a desperate humanitarian situation. The organization I support and travel the country to generate resources for is UNRWA is in a very desperate situation. They're running out of funds. They cannot safely deliver aid. If they have the fuel, it's a very chaotic operation. They're asking for a ceasefire, a durable one. They're asking for more aid, for funding. They're saying, you know, everything is collapsing, hospitals, you know, this is not sustainable. You know, this has been more than two months. Unfortunately, the case of politicians here in the U.S. looking at the Middle East and telling us, hey, we know what's good for you. Despite the fact more than 17,000 Palestinians are dead, 7,000 children of whom are our children. It's just heartbreaking because it's just like these politicians here. They love this country. I love America. But the politicians here have failed us and they have not heard our plight. And despite our effort, we try, we try, we try, but we feel we somehow overnight we are told we don't belong. Hani um, uh, Amadoun, um, you're always welcome here. Um, we appreciate your willingness to talk about so many things that are personally painful for you and your family and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Of course. And coming up, imagine a world where you have to hire a lawyer and stand before a judge to beg for the right to have a necessary medical procedure. And doctors willing to carry out that procedure are threatened with prosecution. If you are a woman living in Texas today, you don't have to imagine it. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. Yesterday, a Texas woman had to ask a judge for permission to get medical treatment. That's right. For the first time in at least 50 years, a judge had to intervene to allow an adult American woman to terminate her pregnancy. That woman is Kate Cox, a 31-year-old Dallas resident. On November 27th, while she was 20 weeks pregnant, a wanted pregnancy, mind you, Cox and her husband, Justin, learned that their fetus developed trisomy 18 a genetic abnormality that usually results in miscarriage, stillbirth, 
or death soon after birth. As every woman in America knows, reproductive rights are no longer a freedom afforded to women in the United States. And Texas has some of the most restrictive, intentionally vague and confusing laws in the country. Texas's abortion laws prohibit abortion except to save the life of the pregnant patient. According to the lawsuit, if Cox were to carry this fetus to term, she would have to undergo her third cesarean section, which could jeopardize her ability to have more children, which again, she said she and her husband wanted. They have two children already. Cox burst into tears when the Travis County District Judge granted her a temporary restraining order, giving Cox's doctor the case-specific opportunity to perform the abortion without criminal or civil or criminal or criminal or civil penalties. Here's what her lawyer said ahead of the hearing. I want to emphasize how unforgivable it is that Kate had to beg for health care in court. No one should have to do this. And the reality is that 99 percent of people cannot. Almost immediately, Ken Paxton, the Republican attorney general for the state who recently survived an impeachment vote in the state, fired off a letter threatening to prosecute any doctors or hospital involved in providing the emergency abortion. Paxton, who is not a doctor, but who does know something about prosecution, given that he faces federal security fraud charges with a trial slated for next spring, claimed the judge had no authority to grant the restraining order and had the gall to claim that Cox had not shown that she qualified for the medical exemption to the state's abortion ban. According to the Texas Tribune, however, Paxton cannot directly appeal Thursday's order since it's a temporary restraining order. But in a twisted perversion of power, Paxton asked the Supreme Court to weigh in. It is pretty horrific to think that a woman has to plead with a judge to do what is best for her own body. But that doesn't seem horrific enough for Missouri Republicans. Republicans in that state are acting on Donald Trump's promise to punish women. They are pushing a pair of bills that would allow for women to be charged with murder for getting an abortion in the state. I guess a near total ban on abortion is just not enough for them under his eye. Meanwhile, here in Washington, the Supreme Court met to discuss whether they need to review another Texas case, one that could result in a definitive decision on federal approval of the drug most commonly used for medication abortion, known as mifepristone. Even the court's decision on whether to take up the appeal is of practical importance, because if the justices decide not to intervene in the ongoing litigation, an appeals court ruling that limited the availability of the drug by mail would go into effect, closing yet another access route to abortion in this country. The way this country's heading, you got to wonder what comes next. Minstrel cycle inspections, judicial participation in your cervical exams. Honestly, at this point, There seems to be no end to the possibilities. And when we come back, I will discuss all of this and more with my exceptional Friday political panel. Don't go anywhere. We are back with our politics roundtable. Brian Tyler Cohen, host of the No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen podcast and an MSNBC contributor. And Brittany Packnett Cunningham, MSNBC political analyst, host of the Undistracted podcast and a former member of President Obama's 21st Century Policing Task Force. I feel like I got to get my podcast game back on. All y'all host those cool podcasts. Okay, Brittany, I do want to go to you first. I want to read to you something from Wired. And it is a frightening development that's happening in states because of the restrictions on abortion. In February, a group of students, uh, residents and faculty served 
surveyed 2,063 licensed and trainee physicians and found that 82% want to work or train in states that retain abortion access, and 76% would refuse to apply in states that restrict it. An unrelated national survey, in an unrelated national survey, 77% of 494 third and fourth year medical students said that abortion restrictions would affect where they applied to residency. When we were in Texas with uh, the vice president with a, a round table, that was one of the things that came up, that a generation from now, states like Texas will have very few OBGYNs willing to even practice there. What are the implications of that? I mean, these long-term effects, frankly, are precisely what anti-abortion advocates have been trying to make happen. They want to make sure that even if we are able to push better policies forward, that the field of experts um, and practitioners that can actually perform abortions, that keep women safe when abortions are performed, um, that create spaces that are safe for reproductive justice and reproductive health care, are actually restrictive in and of themselves. That we won't have the people and the places and the spaces to take care of those who want to exercise autonomy over their bodies. Look, I think it's going to be really important for the Democrats not only to make the message very clear that it can and will get worse with studies like these, with actions like the Texas Attorney General, um, that it can indeed get worse. But then Democrats have to do the much harder thing of making sure that they communicate clearly that they are the party that will make it better. And they can start by committing to enshrine uh, protection to the access of abortion um, in in the federal statute. Right. Because the thing is, is that if they get if you get a national abortion man, uh, Brian, then this happens everywhere. And I just want to point out one of the things Ken Paxton is doing. He's going back to the Supreme Court. He can't stop this abortion from happening, but he wants to close off access to the next woman who is essentially has dead tissue inside of her, which could cause sepsis, which could kill her. Or she would just give birth to a, a, you know, a, a baby that is dead. And they want to force a woman to have to do that and not be able to go to court. If the Supreme Court goes his way, no future woman in this situation could even go to court to get relief. Essentially, what they're telling women in Texas is you will give birth to something living or dead, but you will give birth. Shows me it's not about babies. It's about controlling women. It's about controlling women. And also, if this is what they're willing to do in the lead up to an election, an election, by the way, where it's been preceded by so many other elections where this issue has been such a loser for Republicans. If they're willing to do this now in the lead up to an election, just imagine what they're willing to do in the aftermath of the election when they don't have to face the voters. And by the way, Joy, I just want to read just one sentence from The Hill that just kind of summarizes everything. And, and you alluded to this at the top of this segment. District, the district court judge said she would grant a temporary restraining order that allows this 31-year-old woman to get an abortion while also protecting her husband from being held liable for helping her under Texas's bounty law, as well as preventing her physician from being prosecuted for performing the abortion. Everybody is being criminalized in this situation. This is control over every single person in this equation, and there is no autonomy. There is no freedom, which is especially ironic because it's coming from the party that likes to beat, to, to beat its chest as the party of freedom. Right. And Brittany, I mean, the thing is, is that the fact that Republicans are doing things like this in Texas, in Florida, they threatened to do a thing where they wanted to examine girls uh, and get their period records to find out whether they should be able to participate in sports to try to catch trans, trans kids in the acts, but that could also use to try to restrict abortion. I mean, this is clearly not about babies. They don't even want to fund preschool. This is literally an attempt to get control of women, and they want to take this idea national. Listen, Joy, I've had a miscarriage. I had a miscarriage right in the middle of doing an interview on that podcast you were talking about earlier. And it is devastating. It is life-changing. And for plenty of women, it can cause 
long-term health impacts, and it can cause further infertility. This is certainly not about the women. And as you've already said, it's not about the babies. If it were about the babies, we'd have universal uh, pre-K, we'd have universal child family care. We would not be seeing um, uh, women and babies who depend on WIC and food stamps being threatened constantly when Republicans can't get their stuff together in Congress. And we wouldn't continue to experience childhood poverty in the way that we do. This was never about women. It was never about children. It was never about justice. It has always been about control. And we have to make sure that this November or next November, rather, and every single day before and after, we remind them that it's not their power to hold the people hold the power. Yep. Uh, let, let's go to let's go to Washington, D.C. Um, here are a couple of Republicans who have problems. Here's Kevin McCarthy talking about the Republican Party. It's an interesting take. I became leader when we took the minority and th- this was a turning point for me. I go into the State of the Union and in the State of the Union, one side stands up and the other side stands up. And I just become leader. and I'm excited. And President Trump's there. And I look over at the Democrats and they stand up. They look like America. We stand up. We look like the most restrictive country club in America. Brian, what do you make of his truthiness? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how restrictive it is if Marjorie Taylor Greene is standing up there. But I think uh, I think other than that, it does kind of put on full display the fact that once you're out of the Republican Party, then you suddenly you suddenly find your tongue. Right. All of these people. <laughs> can finally manage to tell the truth, but only after they're out, only after they're not done, you know, only after they're finished uh, uh, kowtowing to the party leaders and, and towing the party line. Suddenly they find their ability to, to tell the truth and, and speak freely. Yeah. Uh, let's now roll Ramaswamy. I, I, you know, I, I regret even sometimes putting him on television because he is so ridiculous. But this is so bizarre that it has to be commented upon. Here is Ramaswamy, uh, uh, Ramaswamy uh, trying to say that a, a known crime that we know about was all made up and was the feds. Here he is. The mainstream media has completely ignored the footage that Mike Johnson and others have reached, uh, have released on January 6th. And it's the same way they dismissed the idea that the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping was somehow an inside job. It's all an inside job, Brittany. Uh, the attempt to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, as well as January 6th, per the guy who claims he wants to be president. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's all an inside job. There is a UFO sitting in my front lawn and the aliens are ready to take me back. Look, lots of wild things have been said by this man. And yet... There have been wild things being said by Republican candidates all across that stage. There are wild things that were said by the last Republican president, including ones that led to January 6th, um, despite how many people want to deny that it ever happened or it was some kind of promising freedom fight. We know better and we have to make sure that they know we know better. I really, really wish that comments like these were further on the extreme of the Republican Party than they currently are. But right now, it seems like it's pretty in line with how they're operating. And that, frankly, should terrify us all. Yeah. Any thoughts uh, on Ramaswamy and his attempts to I don't know what he's trying to do, Brian. Is he trying to make Trump love him? Is he trying? I don't know what his goal is. Get a podcast like he, you guys you know, have a great podcast. He wants one, too. Like, what is happening? I, I think the more you spout conspiratorial nonsense in the Republican Party, the higher your stock becomes. But I should probably note that in this whole uh, January 6th truther uh, conspiracy theory, uh, over a thousand of these Trump supporters were charged. A lot of them in court said that they were there because Donald Trump incited them to be there. They didn't say that they were incited to be there by the deep state or the FBI or Joe Biden or Democrats. They were there because of Donald Trump. And so that's that's right out of the horse's mouth. 
There you go. Brian and Brittany uh, are going to stick around because it is Friday. And you know what that means. Who won the week is straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. Oh, we know what day it is. It's time to play our favorite game. There's the music. Who won the week? Back with me, Brian Tyler Cohen and Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Each of you has two names, so I don't know who to go first. I, I, let's go with you first, Brian. Who won the week? Okay. I think uh, I'm going to give it to, I, I get a twofer here. So I'm going to go Jared okay. Moskowitz, Jamie Raskin, and the House Oversight Committee on the news that Republicans are yet again moving forward with their doomed impeachment effort. Every time, every time they have the opportunity to move forward and either, every time they have the opportunity to stop this and like stave the bleeding, they continue to move forward anyway and just continue to embarrass themselves. And the second one is going to be George Santos for, and, and hear me out on this one for reaching peak Republican in the year 2023, which is ending up on Cameo hawking uh, personalized videos for 200 bucks a pop. I mean, I don't know how much higher on top of the mountain you can get for a Republican than that. (laughs) I kind of want to buy one. I do. Loki, Loki. Okay, Brittany. Brett, who won the week? (laughs) <laughs> Black filmmakers, Ava DuVernay's Origin. We've got Book of Clarence. We've got American Fiction. I just saw The Color Purple, which is so, so brilliant, beautiful, it and is. captivating us with its innovation. And it brought me so much joy, which reminds me, the other winner of the week is you, because it is your birthday, Joy Reid. We are <laughs> so grateful for you. Um, we are all smarter, more thoughtful, more compassionate, and more educated people because you are in that seat. We love oh. you. And- you. So happy birthday. Thank you, my sister. That is so kind. That is so kind. Well, my winner of the week is the FDA approving two gene therapies for anyone 12 and older suffering from sickle cell disease. Science won the week, conquering sickle cell. Very important. That's the winner of the week. Brian Tyler Cohen, Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Thank you. That is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.